Welcome to Unspoken, the podcast that highlights experiences that are all too common but very rarely discussed. I am Dr. Cloda Campbell, the wellness psychologist, and I feel very passionately about speaking the unspoken to remove the taboo and shame that so often surrounds our experiences and internal worlds. For each episode of Unspoken, I am joined by someone who would like to uncover their unspoken with us in order to help themselves, but also in order to help others. I really hope that you enjoy today's episode and that you take something from it. Today's podcast is very proudly sponsored by my absolute favourite Irish skincare brand, Ella and Joe Cosmetics. With formulas that are powered by plants and backed by science, Ella and Joe are dedicated to creating high quality, luxurious skincare products that actually deliver results and that create magic moments in your day. Whether your skin is dry, dull, or just in need of a pick-me-up, the Ella and Joe range will put the joy back into your skincare routine. Find your skin confidence again by shopping Ella and Joe's beautiful products on ellaandjoe.ie using discount code UNSPOKEN for 15% off. Today, I am joined by Keith, who has very bravely agreed to share his Unspoken with us. Keith's story centres around the body dysmorphia he has experienced since being an incredibly self-conscious 13-year-old boy standing on the edge of a swimming pool in his swim shorts. Keith speaks to me about how incredibly debilitating this disorder has been for him and of all it has heartbreakingly held him back from in life. To hear Keith's first-hand experience of something that is so often so unspoken due to the huge shame that surrounds it has been really eye-opening for me and I know his story will really touch your heart just as it did mine. Keith, welcome to Unspoken. Thanks, Clara. Thanks for having me. It's gorgeous to have you, Keith. I'd love to begin our conversation today by going back to where your Unspoken began and for you, you have this very definitive memory, this very definitive trigger. Take yeah. us back to that. Well, I mean, my, I suppose my, 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 my story or journey, not like using the word journey, but my kind of, my earliest memory of starting to kind of have mental health struggles, but it, of course I didn't know there were mental health struggle, struggles at the time, was probably when I was around 13 or so, was when I was kind of at the local swimming pool. And, um, Myself and my sister did um, life-saving classes and um, kind of up until that point, I don't ever remember remember having any um, thoughts about myself or I was just a happy child. I mean, even recently, myself and my sister were kind of going through family albums and pictures and you could kind of see nearly up until that point, the smile on my face and I was a happy little child and I was nearly going through the pictures and as I got older in the pictures, my smile started to kind of eradicate in the pictures and I could actually nearly, I could go through them chronologically in the pictures and you could slowly see my demeanor change in the pictures. And it was, oh, it was upsetting. So it was heartbreaking seeing it. And it really hit me the next day. Like I'm getting goosebumps now. I actually haven't told anybody this. This is actually the first time I've mentioned that. I'm actually getting goosebumps just saying that because the next day I was kind of really overwhelmed. And I remember getting the next day, I got a message from my sister saying, she felt the same, really overwhelmed. But the two of us never said anything to each other when we were looking at the pictures. We never even said anything. It was just one of this kind of unspoken um, look that we both gave each other. Or you know, But anyway, so you could see in the picture. So when I go back to probably when I was 13 at the local sw- swimming pool, 
that's when I started to really become self-conscious and really start to compare myself to other people that were there. Yeah. I had never done that before. And if like I had to just been like a like you know just a normal swimming class because I, I could swim so I could swim like when I was younger and again I've, I've been at swimming pool probably hundreds of times never an issue but for some reason at that age the life-saving classes required you to kind of get out of the water and stand at the side of the pool and kind of rehearse life-saving scenarios and stuff like that and I remember one of my friends was there as well and he asked and the, the guys weren't allowed to wear shorts they had to wear like speedos they had to wear them and I just was not comfortable at all standing there and that's when I started to when I look back now that's when my anxiety really started to kick in and that's when I just started to to really look at myself and pin pinpoint kind of flaws that I thought I had in myself and that's when the damage was done for me because it took over my entire life and it continued on from there but I never really went to a pool again I never like my whole life pretty much changed after that point. And when you were standing there in your your speedos, what were the flaws that you were looking at or worried about? Well, it started off, I just didn't like my body shape. So I didn't like how I looked in the speedos. I didn't, I just thought I had maybe a way in my lower back. I didn't think I was muscly enough. I thought I didn't like, you know, and this is just at the very beginning. They were, that's how it started. At the age of 13. Yeah. And just looking at other, you know, guys and, and they're like, oh, they maybe, do they play football more than me? Or because he looks better than I do. I don't look like that. You know, and it, these thoughts would just start to fester. And that was how it started. Yeah. As time went on, I would like, the, I, I, I'd stand in front of the mirror then and I would like pinpoint all, from top to bottom flaws in myself. I didn't like, it wasn't just that. Because as I always say, like someone with body dysmorphia, it's not about your body weight. It's also about your body shape mm. and flaws that you think you have. Yeah. So I'd be like, I didn't like a tiny little bird mark on my ear that no one ever notices. When I was younger, I may as well had, to me, I may as well had a red flashing light on my side of my ear. I felt it was that, you know, noticeable. And it's not. I didn't like my wrists. I didn't like my calves. I didn't like my stomach. I didn't like my lower back. I didn't like my forearms. Like you literally just... You know, you didn't like everything. You'd go point and, and you know, you just keep telling yourself these things over and over and over and over again. You know, and it just, when you tell yourself those things over and over again, you, you just, you eventually just believe them. Yeah, of course. You know, but the damage was done at 17 for me. I, I could have got help. I could have done a lot of things, could have, should have, would have, but I didn't. And how can you know when you're at that young age, yeah. as you said, it's easy now to look back and pinpoint when your mental health difficulty started. But yeah. at that age, mm. how could you have known? Yeah. 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 So I really hear you when you say you were standing in the pool and this just behavior and berating of yourself and comparing of yourself started internally. Was there anything externally happening at the time or that contributed to this beginning? No, absolutely nothing. Nothing. I just all of a sudden uh, just started to really notice myself compared to other people because maybe it was the first time I actually, you know, was um, kind of, I put myself out there where those other people around me and I, you know, and I could see their bodies. Do you know what I mean? Where, where like, it's not like I was watching anything on TV where I was going to be looking at that or I, I, you know, I didn't, I played football a bit, but then you know, you wouldn't see many people in dressing room. So it, there wasn't really anything there 
that you know external factors that to me I could pinpoint I really genuinely wasn't it was just all in my head yeah it was all in my head nobody said anything to me nobody like I was never bullied nobody ever made comments to me you know I had a happy childhood everything was great and all of a sudden I just started to have these thoughts about myself that I just didn't like myself and from the age of 13 then to 17 what was that period like for you when you were navigating all of that? Confusing, frustrating, upsetting. Um, I started to just really withdraw from everything. I wore a mask all the time. I mean, a metaphorical mask. I mean, like I, I got to school and I was friends with everyone. Everyone liked me. I was a happy guy. But then when I, when I got home, that's when the thoughts would start. You know, when you have time on your own. And uh, it was just very confusing. Like my friend would start to ask me to do stuff and I wouldn't do them. Didn't want to go anywhere. Didn't really want to see anyone. Would make up excuses to not go anywhere. I started, tried making up excuses not to go back to the swimming. Nearly every week I would make up something, you know, to not go. But I, still, I went, um, you know, and then I'd go home on a Saturday evening and, you know, I'd go up to my room, just burst into tears and, I would sit in my room all evening then it'd be a Saturday evening. And this is even up until 17, you know. And and, and later in life, I mean, this didn't just stop at 17. It's just, just when the swimming lessons were, but this continued on after that. Yeah, and I would cry myself to sleep and I cried myself to sleep for probably up until my 30s nearly. And not every night, obviously, but like that never stopped. The thoughts never stopped. The negative thoughts never stopped. You know, my, my self-confidence just slowly just got er- eroded over time. You know, did anyone notice? I don't think so, because when I said when I started sharing my story a couple of years ago, um, everyone would say to me, Geez, you never said anything to us. We never knew. Mm. I mean, I went for therapy in my 20s for depression, but I just thought it was like school or I just felt I was sad. Yeah. You know, I just felt I needed therapy or my parents thought I needed therapy at the time because I was so sad and they obviously noticed I was upset. I wasn't going out. I kind of withdrawn from a lot, but nobody knew why. And I didn't even really know why. I didn't really know how to to process this. I didn't know what the reasons for this were. I just thought I just didn't like myself. I just thought I was depressed. And I went for therapy and we talked about it. And the depression eased a little bit, but the thoughts never went away because I didn't address it. Okay, so you didn't talk about it with the therapist you didn't say actually I really hate how I look I hate my wrist I hate my calves I hate my ear no never no and I don't know why I didn't say it to them maybe it was at that early well in my 20s maybe I was feeling the stigma maybe I was like a self-stigmatizing probably at that stage like we're going back to um early 90s now mid 90s maybe you know it's not like we had social media I didn't have loads of TV channels. I didn't have people's bodies thrown in my face every day of the week on social media. I didn't have that. Mm. And people asked me, like, you know, when I was comparing myself to others, did I have a version of, or did, did it, was there someone, like, a poster on my wall of someone I wanted to look like? And I always say the same answer because it's true. I didn't want to look like someone else. I just didn't want to look like me. And that that was it. I just didn't want to look like me. You know, and there wasn't, there wasn't anything anyone could do about that. Nobody could fix that for me. I feel so sad for that little 17-year-old boy and that 20-year-old <laughs> young man 
sitting at home in your room feeling that way about yourself. Mm. It's really heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking back to my early 20s and I think about nights out and all that fun I was having when I was finding who I was and I suppose learning my way in the world. Did you have any of that fun and that? Yeah. No, I lost my my teens, my 20s and my 30s. I don't, to me, I don't, I, I try not to think back to those, that time because I, to me, I lost them. I have no teens, 20s or 30s. I was just unhappy for the whole time. Wore a mask to cover things up. Um, like I said earlier on, my, my, my friends would ask me to go out to places. And I, and I, I did go out a, little, a bit. Like I, I went out because I, I wanted to have fun. I didn't want to feel like that. I didn't want to feel the way I felt. But I just didn't like myself and I felt I couldn't change it. So my friends would ask me, you know, to go out on a Saturday night or whatever. And I'd go out. But anything would trigger me, like anything, even if, um, like even a group, a bunch of girls would walk past and they might look at my friends and if, and then if one of them didn't even look at me, I'd be like, oh, see, I look, you're horrible. I just don't even want to look at you. I just want to go home now. And I would be on the verge of tears the whole night then. I just want to go home. I just did not want to be out then because anything would trigger me. You know, I mean, I, 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 I met a girl when I was 17 and I was on and off with her till probably 20 early 20s or so but I just couldn't have a relationship with anyone I just couldn't like I, I just well how, how could I love someone else when I didn't love myself like how could I how can I how can I let anyone else in when I disliked myself so much mm. I just couldn't I just wasn't able for it you know um so that's like I so, so I had very very few girlfriends you know you'd see your friends going out and they'd meet someone on a Saturday night I never met anyone because you know I just never really with anyone you close yourself off from yeah it. yeah and if someone girl come over to talk to me i would think that was she's probably just taking do you know what i mean she was just why is she talking to me like you know and i was just like closed off completely because i just feel well sure there's no way anyone could like me you know and that's just a saturday night i mean like like this would and it, like this continued for years and years and years like i mean like i didn't want to go anywhere like i mean or if I even if I was in work, I didn't want to lean over a certain way because I I felt I'd have weight in my lower back because that's just where I held weight at the time. It wasn't even overweight. It was just probably just me, just my body shape. Mm. Like I wouldn't even, or you know, if I was out somewhere, I'd be afraid. You know, like someone might walk past and just tap you on the back. I'd be if someone touched me on the lower back, I'd like, wouldn't you want to cry? I just want to go home. Um, if I was in traffic. Or if it was anyone, I didn't want anyone looking at me from the side on. So if I was in traffic, I'd put my hand over my face or um, I would kind of cover my mouth all the time. I remember I had an ID one time and in my password picture. And I remember the girl I was going out, one of her friends said to me, oh, or they said it to each other. Oh, look, he's doing the chin thing in the picture. And that destroyed me. I don't know what I was doing, but I was obviously trying to do something in the picture because I didn't like pictures being taken of me. And that's like even to this day, that has stuck with me. I'll never forget it. Um, so it completely took over my whole life. You'd wake up in the morning, and you was just the first thing you think about was how much I hate myself. And then that night, you probably just be overwhelmed or upset, or you just cry yourself to sleep. Then, you know. And then the same thing would happen the next day. And of course, you get days, weeks where you're fine, you feel okay, but it never really went away. 
I just can't even begin to imagine the exhaustion of that, mm. like being on high alert all the time mm. to, to everybody in your surroundings. Yeah, because you're like you're on one side, you're trying to cover things up so people think you're OK. And on the other side, you're trying to cover yourself up because you don't want anyone to come near, you know, picture or you don't want someone just to look at you a certain way or you didn't want to. You'd say I drop a pen on the ground. I wouldn't want to kind of lean over to pick the pen up because I thought, well, if I lean forward, my t-shirt might get a bit tight and they might see and then be looking at me going, Jesus, would you not go exercise or would you not? Or this, and you just feel like they're judging you all the time. And that's how I end up with such an unhealthy relationship with exercise because I try to change certain things about me that I thought I could change. When you say unhealthy relationship with exercise, what happened? You just completely get obsessed with that then because you're trying to, you think that's the only thing that's going to make me feel better if I try and change the way I look. Mm. But of course, it's not. And I know that now. But at the time, you do. So you want to go to the gym then every day of the week. And you're constantly thinking about that. What time will I eat? How much will I eat? What time What time will I take a supplement? I can't take this. I mean, take four or five supplements a day. But then in the background, you're still saying, well, this isn't going to work because you're horrible. Sure, Why would it work? You know, your confidence is, is completely gone. I have no confidence in anything. So you're just thinking to yourself, well, you're going to fail at everything anyway. So then, then the food starts and then the emotional eating starts and then you'd want to purge the food back up because you don't want the food sitting in your stomach, but you want to eat because you feel bad and you've got this endless spiral, I call it, as just negativity that just follows you around all the time. And as you say, it's physically and mentally exhausting. It's draining because you, you, you like that every single day. As I listen to you talking about that period of your life which by the way was a really long period of your life you were talking yeah. 13 to 30 yeah it just sounds so dark and so heavy and so yeah. difficult was there a really low point in all of that for you that stands out when I look back the whole period is just merged into one big dark blur nothing particular stands out um, it's all, it was all dark for me. Every day I would wake up, I'd feel the same. You know, I mean, I so many times I thought to myself, I just don't want to be around anymore. It's just like, what's the point? I just, I'm never going to be happy. You know, and like, it was only recently, I mean, I was able to even start listening to music from that era. You know, like I, even if I heard like a, like a 90s dance track or something, I would, it would trigger me because I could go back to the thoughts of, been out somewhere and just not wanting to go home and just not wanting to be there and um so only recently i was able to start listening to music like that so i mean that whole period was just so dark for me it all just has merged into one yeah you know it's like i woke up when i was 13 felt dark fell asleep and woke up again at 35 or whatever it was or 37 30, i don't even know what it was now mm. that whole period to me was just I wouldn't wish it on anybody. And obviously, when I look back, of course I wish I had talked to someone. Of course I do. I, nobody wants to feel like that. And I don't know why I didn't talk to anyone. I just didn't. Maybe after a while, you're, you're, you're in this dark place for so long. It's, you don't know any better. You don't know any different. It's just the way you are. And that's at least what I thought at the time. It's just who I am. Have you ever made sense of why it began or... What led to you feeling this way? No, I, like when I talk about it, like and I've talked about it a few times, like 
it's hard to make sense of it. A lot of it is there's so such irrational thoughts. It's hard to make sense of it. I even like I'm in such a better place now. When I look back on it, I can't make any sense of anything that went through my head. It's all irrational. None of it makes any sense. You know, you know, and that's why I I talk so much now, and I, you know, I share my story so much now because I don't want kids to feel the way I did. I don't want a child to look back in their thirties and go. Where's my teens gone? Where's my twenties gone? Where did they go? There just should be the best times of your life. Not sitting in a room crying yourself to sleep. Like that's not I don't want anyone to feel like that ever. Yeah. Especially when there's not when when it can be when it can be not fixed is the wrong word, but when when it doesn't have to be that way. It's not it doesn't have to be a life sentence when you know you know, when I started to feel like that, not only said, Oh, you're gonna feel like this for twenty five years. It didn't have to be like that. You know? So what was the turning point? When did things start to change for you? Um, it was probably about two years ago, maybe two and a half years ago at this stage. And it kind of it kind of really happened by accident. Like I didn't like I suppose you got I I got so used to just feeling the way I did. You know, I mean I was I, I was diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder around twenty sixteen. And I went for therapy for that. But that, again, I didn't talk, I didn't say anything about how I was feeling. It was all about, I just thought it because I changed careers around that stage. And I thought it was all to do with work and, you know, kind of putting yourself back out there and retraining. And I was I getting these panic attacks or, you know, I just thought all my anxiety at that stage was, well, it's because you don't like yourself. So you're in a new job. You're probably going to fail. You start, you know, and you start getting these, um, you know, the imposter syndrome starts kicking in. But because I've had this dark dislike for myself for so long, it's amplified then, in me anyway, in my head, because you've, I've trained myself to expect failure, you know? So I, I was diagnosed with, like, generalized anxiety disorder because that's what I was explaining of what I thought I had. That's what my therapist said. What were your symptoms at the time that you were describing? It was like not wanting to go out anywhere, getting anxious around people, um, getting anxious on public transport, getting anxious about going to work, uh, anxious about bills, money, anxious about everything. You know, I had kind of OCD tendencies as well. You know, in the house, everything had to be kind of lined up and I was always straightening things. And that, of course, looking back, was me just trying to control everything that was around me because I couldn't control my looks. I was trying to control, you know, what I had around me. So... I was diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder, like I said, because that's kind of what the information I was given, you know, to my therapist. And she can only work with what I'm telling her. And were you purposefully not talking about the rest or was it just not in your awareness? It wasn't in my awareness. I got so used to, like I said, just not liking myself. I just got to a point where this is just me. Mm. I look how I look. I am who I am. I don't like myself. It makes me sad, makes me depressed, makes me anxious. And did you think other people felt that same way about themselves? I never really thought about it. I suppose I was so wrapped up in my own thoughts. I never really thought about anyone else, really. You're so preoccupied with yeah. just trying to survive everything that was going on. That's a lovely way of putting it. That's exactly what it was. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, exactly. So like prior to the pandemic hitting, I mean, I 
well, when the pandemic hit, I had three kids anyway, you know, and I mean, it's, you know, everyone has the pressures of being a parent and like I was already struggling massively myself. And then as the kids kind of get a little bit older, like the anxiety that I would feel having to even take them out anywhere because I was so, so closed off. I was so, you know, just not wanting to leave the house. I didn't want to be around people. I didn't want pictures being taken at me. I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm with someone and like the someone might want to take a picture of the kids and I'm going to be in it. And and then I'd be even thinking, oh, am I, if I'm standing a certain way, is the picture from the side? Is the picture from the front? What t- T-shirt am I wearing? Is it going to be tight? Is it... I'm going to have to lean... Like, I'd, I'd go to people's house with the kids and I'd, I'd... You know, you lean forward to pick up your toddler and I'd be, like, trying to turn around a certain way to pick up a toddler because I didn't want someone seeing my back. Like, it's so irrational and it's so... just doesn't make any sense when you look back on it. But at the time, it's so draining, mentally and physically draining because, you're, you're like, you're trying to, you know, be aware of your three small kids and do the best for them as well. But you're also really struggling to keep myself you know afloat you know and it's yeah. it's just it's really hard to it, be present when you're so preoccupied yeah. with your appearance and how people are perceiving you yeah yeah I mean that's exactly what it was I mean I just didn't I, it's not I didn't want to of course I wanted to but I felt so hard it's so hard difficult for me to go anywhere with them you know and I feel so guilty f- because of that you know that I just there's so many things that I could have done with them. Mm. So not only do I feel I've lost my teens, I've lost my 20s and most of my 30s, I also feel I've lost so many memories with the kids when they were small because of because I didn't want to leave the house. You know, it's, it's just so, it was just so difficult to look back on them those times, you know. Um, and like I said, when the pandemic hit, I was working from home. And I had had like, it's funny because I'm so introverted and I was so kind of like closed off, but I all, I always wanted, I had, I wanted to do a podcast about sport and I wanted to do a blog and I wanted to write and I wanted to do all these things and I wanted to do so much. I wanted to be an architect when I was a kid, didn't it? There's so much I wanted to do with my life that I never did. And I just sat at my desk one day and I just wrote a blog and it was a, the, the blog was called how I use sports as an escapism. And when I, I recently read back over the blog and how I read it back now is completely different than the mindset I was in when I wrote it. It's amazing. So to me, when I wrote the, the, that blog, it was about basically when I watched sport. And I'm talking about watching sport to tell you, because remember, I'm not going now on here. So I'm watching sport on the TV and it takes me, it's like an, it is an escapism. Like it takes me away from my thoughts. So I called the blog how I use sports and escapism. If I wrote it now, it'd be how I use sport as an avoidance. Okay. Because that's really what it was. Yeah. I was avoiding everything. Mm. Um, so that's kind of the turning point for me. I wrote that blog. Never meant it to go anywhere. Never wrote a blog in my life. Don't even know I wrote, why I wrote that blog. No idea. Literally no idea. And I sat on the blog for about two weeks and I was fairly active on Twitter. Of all the places to share though, Twitter is probably not the... Well, I shared on Twitter because I didn't really know anyone personally on Twitter. So to me, it was like, I'll share this blog just to see what people think and just to see if anyone can resonate with it. But I would never share it on Facebook at the time because I hadn't talked to anyone at this. So nobody really knew anything about, about me. 
So were you talking about how you felt about yourself? No, not in this blog. No, it was more about just, it was more because like most of my Twitter followers were sports fans and because all my tweets were sport related and stuff like that. It was more aimed towards sport. But obviously those like, you know, a hidden, a hidden message in there about mental health. Okay. And using sports escapes. And there was a hidden message in there. Maybe I didn't mean to have a hidden message. Maybe I did. I can't really remember. Um, But it was received really, really well. And it got picked up by a few people on Twitter. And it got shared and shared and shared. And it just kind of like, it spurred me on to just write another one. And then I'd go back to my therapist. And I'd be like, oh, I wrote this blog. And I wrote that. And should we talk about it? And all of a sudden, kind of the onion started to unravel a little bit. Because I wrote another blog, like I said, the second blog. And I started to just open up a little bit more in the second blog. And then, obviously, I was making notes of in my head about myself. And I, I must have been putting the kind of messages in. So someone mentioned body dysmorphia to me. Someone messaged, have you ever like looked into body dysmorphia? And I'm like, what's, what's body dysmorphia? I've never heard that in my life. And I never forget it. I was sitting at my desk in the bedroom. And I googled body dysmorphia, and this is—I'm not—I'm not even trying to sound dramatic here. My life changed within five minutes. My life changed. What happened? I looked up body dysmorphia, and all of a sudden, a list of traits came up, and I was like, "That's me. That's me. Every single trait there is me. There's actually a condition for how I'm feeling. It's actually not just me here." I'm not, you know, there's actually other people actually feel like this. There's a condition for how I'm feeling. And all of a sudden, just the floodgates opened. And I'll never forget. And I went to my therapist and all of a sudden everything came out. I was like, I've looked up this thing and all these traits. I'm like, because I feel like that. And I felt like that. And I was able to start linking all my thoughts and all my kind of dark memories and all my dark thoughts to this um, condition. Now, I wasn't like putting the blame on her, but for me, it was be able to validate my feelings, thinking, wow, maybe I'm not unique here. Maybe there's other people who actually feel like this because there must be if there's a condition. And if there's a condition, there must be a cure for this. And that was, to me, knowing that there, was, there could be light at the end of the tunnel for how I was feeling. Because I got so used to just feeling so dark and all of a sudden a door opened and there was light shining in. Some hope. And I'm like, wow. Hope things might change. Hope. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. I'd never felt that ever hope. I'd never felt hope before. Oh my God. And literally my life changed that day. Wow. You know? You owe that man a point. I don't even know who it was. I can't remember who it was. Um, <laughs> I think it was actually a woman actually who pointed out to me, to be honest. But I, yeah, I don't even know who it was at this point. But um, yeah. And then, so, and then I just felt more comfortable in myself. Obviously, it didn't happen when I was talking to my therapist. But I wrote another blog, and then I just started writing. And all of a sudden, I just started to write blogs, and a lot, a lot of them I haven't even published, but I was just writing for myself to get all this stuff out. And I go to my therapist and talk to my therapist. And I went to my GP and, you know, all this type of stuff. And I was diagnosed, like, you've had body dysmorphia. You've had it for probably about 25 years. Wow. And you didn't know it even existed. Yeah. You know, so then I was able to talk to my therapist and actually address the root causes of all this and not just go in and say oh I'm stressed in work it's not to do about being stressed in work you're stressed about yourself you know like so it was just like I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you Claude today if I hadn't I don't think I would if I hadn't looked that up that day I honestly don't think I would you know it was just 
yeah, hope. Wow. Yeah. And with that, with this new information and this hope, what processes helped? You know, you say now that life is is different Mm. for like the first 38 years of your life. Life was really hard, but now things have gotten brighter. What has helped? Um, Knowledge has helped. Um, And just understanding myself has helped. So being able to understand my thoughts has helped. I know that probably sounds a bit generic, but to me, I had so many thoughts for so many years and I didn't understand them. I swept them under the rug and that rug must have been bulging at that stage because I kept sweeping more stuff under all the time. And then I lifted up the rug. I got, I'm I'm full of analogies today, but I lifted up the rug (laughs) and all these thoughts started flying, but they started making sense, you know, and just give myself a break and being easy on myself. I know that sounds so simple now, but that's something I didn't do for so long. Look in the mirror and go, hmm, it's okay. You're unique. You are who you are. You know? So you started to make peace or to accept yeah. what was looking back at you in the mirror? Yeah. Yeah. Was it hard to get from A to B with that? Because it was so significant how you were berating yourself yeah. previous step. Yeah. Did it take a long time to get to that? Acceptance? Oh, I'm still not there. I'm I I don't think I'll ever be at B if you want to call it that or acceptance. I don't think I'll ever be there. Well no acceptance, I probably yeah, acceptance, yes. Um I don't think I'll ever be over this and I don't think I'll ever be fully cured if you want to use that phrase. But at least now as we said earlier on, I've hope and I'm going in the right direction and I'm able to manage things like even coming to talk to you today. I had these negative thoughts, you know, I was like, oh, is it going to be recorded? Where am I going to be sitting? Is the camera on pointing to the side of me? Am I wearing the right shirt? Is the shirt going to be tight somewhere? All these thoughts still run through my head now, but I, I'm able to manage them a lot better now and I'm able to be more rational with them now thinking, well, they're probably thoughts that most people will probably have. I don't sit there and go my, myself now, well, there you go. You hate yourself. You're only thinking that because you're horrible. I don't think like that anymore. I'm able to rationalize my thoughts so much better now. It's like you catch when you're having a negative yeah. thought and instead of berating yourself and going to ten in yourself, yeah. you kind of say, you know what, this is probably a normal way for me to feel today, given what I'm about to do. Yeah, exactly. And I suppose I realized after a while that, you know, and I realized that I wasn't unique at all in this, you know, and, and that's been one of the main things as well, it's realizing my brain isn't unique. We're all hardwired to kind of go back to negativity and to be hard on ourselves. We all do it. But the thing is, is that I just don't let it fester anymore. Mm. And that's probably the most important thing. As you said, I catch it now and I rationalize it and I move on and I don't break myself now. You know, but like having, but trying to change your thought process, I'm sure you know, it's not easy. Like it, I've been thinking a certain way for so long. It's yeah. like, you can't just flick a switch and I haven't flicked a switch. I'm still getting the negative thoughts now and I probably will for the rest of my life, you know, but at least now I can look forward to actually remembering my memories and making the most of my memories rather than, as you said, berating myself or losing out so much of my life, you know. It's just, and like I said, I've got three beautiful kids now and the time they get with me now is so much more than it used to be. You know, I I can see it in them. 
and hopefully they can see it in me. Then like when we're together now, it's like I can take pictures and I don't mind taking pictures of myself. And, you know, I remember the days we go out and I remember when I took them for ice cream and I remember going to these places and I look back now and I go, yeah, that was nice. I like that. You know, I'm thinking of my experience of becoming a mom and as an adopted person, I longed for children who looked like me. I don't know if I quite received that in my two girls, but for you, Keith, in your children, when you could see parts of yourself in them, what was that like for you, given that you were so self-critical for so long? Yeah. Well, the thing is, is that I never really know. And here's, I was only thinking about it. Like, I never noticed the part in me that they had until recently, because as we said a little while ago, I was so wrapped up in my own thoughts. It wasn't really noticing anybody. And it was only when I started to, to work on myself and understand myself, I started to look at my kids and and I'm like, wow. Two of my kids actually have the same body shape I had. And look at them, they're amazing. Mm-hmm. And they're beautiful and they, they do everything and they like you can't stop them from doing anything and they they love themselves, you know, obviously in a healthy way. And I'm like, wow, that's so like that's just amazing. You know, and I love and I it's so it's amazing for me to be part of that now. Because I I just couldn't imagine, as they get older, me continuing on the way I was going, or the way I was, because I would have missed out on even more, you know? And, like, it's just, it's incredible to see. And here's the thing, is that they're growing up in an age now with social media, with everything is thrown in their face all the time. All the time. And I think they're navigating it brilliantly. And now hopefully I'm helping with that. And I hope everyone else around them is is helping with that too. Because I think it took maybe, like if I look at the the silver lining of all of this is that it's made me more aware. Hopefully it's made me a better parent. Is that I'm more aware of maybe what to say and what not to say. I'm more aware of, you know, influences they have. I'm more aware of all these things that might trigger them or not trigger them. And that's really important because, again, if I had a state where I was going, I was so wrapped up in my own head. I wasn't noticing anything, really. If you could go back to that 13-year-old boy on the side of the pool, what would you say to him? <laughs> you would not believe how many times I've been asked that question. And I still can't answer it. I don't think I, I, don't think I would change it. I honestly don't think I would. Because I don't know. And I, my favorite movie of all time is Back to the Future. It's my favorite <laughs> film of all time. So I keep picturing myself hopping into a DeLorean with Doc McBrown and going back <laughs> to whenever it was, the early 90s or something. And, you know, buying myself in the almanac and making myself rich and, you know, and having a, having a word with myself. But then if I did that and I hopped in the DeLorean and came back to here, I might not have my three beautiful children I have now. Mm. I'm, my life could be completely different. And okay, my life's not perfect at the moment and nobody's is. But it's far better than it was. And I don't know if I went back and had words with myself would have made a difference because nothing anyone would have said to me at that age would have made a difference because I wouldn't have changed how I looked. And what, what am I going to go back and say to a 13-year-old? I wouldn't have understood anything I was trying to say to him anyway. Or he was, I was, he was trying to say to me, so I'm being confusing myself now. <laughs> but um, I don't think I wouldn't change anything. 
Mm-hmm. I would, one thing I would say is if I went back and I had words, I would say, it's just go easy on yourself. I know that sounds ridiculously simple, but that's one thing I would leave, I'd leave them with is please just go easy on yourself. Mm. Please don't break yourself every single night. You're fine. You're healthy. You're fine. Life doesn't need to be this way. You're okay. I promise. And I would I'd leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. I can see the emotion in your face as you yeah. think about that. Yeah. Yeah. I wish someone had said it to me, but anyway. I wouldn't be where I am today if I hadn't gone through the stuff I went through. And by sharing your story, you will help so many of mm. our unspoken listeners because I can identify with parts of what you're talking about and I'm sure everybody listening will too. So. so thank you for being so honest and vulnerable and brave in sharing your story with us today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Body image dissatisfaction is something many of my clients have expressed over the years in my therapy room. But how do you know if it's body image dissatisfaction you're experiencing or body dysmorphia? Let's consider that together. Do you spend a huge amount of time absorbed by a particular aspect of your body or appearance? Do you perceive a particular part of your body to be significantly flawed or defective? Are your efforts to change or improve the area of concern or to conceal it from others hugely time-consuming and affecting your life negatively? Do you struggle to believe others when they reassure you about how you look? If you found yourself answering yes to any of these questions, like Keith, you may be experiencing body dysmorphia. So what is body dysmorphia? Body dysmorphia involves a focus on one or more perceived defect or flaw in someone's physical appearance. And often these flaws or defects aren't observable or appear minimal to others. I say perceived because usually these flaws are very much perceived by the person experiencing body dysmorphia. However, they can feel very, very real to the individual and can cause them huge distress. Body dysmorphia also typically consists of debilitating preoccupation that can cause significant disruption to an individual's social life as well as to their education or work life. Body dysmorphic disorder was first categorised in the late 1980s and is closely linked to anxiety and obsessive compulsive disorder. Typically, people begin to experience this disorder in their teens and early 20s. However, they often hide their struggles, just as Keith did. Shame typically plays a huge part in this, as does a lack of awareness or recognition of the difficulty, comorbid diagnoses and a lack of awareness of the disorder in clinicians. People with body dysmorphia often engage in time-consuming, repetitive and compulsive behaviours such as mirror-checking, reassurance-seeking and excessive grooming or exercise and comparison to others can also be really significant behaviour for body dysmorphia sufferers, something that can compound and exasperate their struggles. Common areas that tend to be the focus of preoccupation in body dysmorphic disorder include skin, hair on the head or body, the nose, eyes, teeth or smile, eyebrows, the chin or jawline, thighs, calves, breasts or genitals, and the stomach, someone's height, their muscles or scars. 
It is important to note here that body dysmorphia is not a vanity or superficial appearance concern, but a very real and intensely distressing psychological difficulty that can interfere hugely in someone's life and happiness. In fact, anxiety and depression are two further psychological difficulties that body dysmorphia sufferers often experience alongside body dysmorphic disorder. So what helps? Typically, therapy and medication, or a combination of both, are the prescribed treatment options with a very good efficacy rate. So, if following listening to Keith's story or today's therapy segment, you wonder if you may be experiencing body dysmorphia, please reach out to a mental health professional to support you. A therapist who specialises in body dysmorphia or your GP would be a really brilliant place to start. And I have listed lots of resources in the show notes of today's episodes to help you even further. If it's a loved one you are concerned about rather than yourself, don't be afraid to very gently explore this with them or to send them a link to today's episode. Respect them if they don't want to talk, but let them know you care about them and that you are there for them. It might just change things for them. For those of you listening who relate more to body image dissatisfaction than to body dysmorphic disorder... I've shared a really helpful worksheet in today's show notes for you, as well as a beautiful meditation. I hope you can give yourself the gift of time to complete them. This is the work. Thank you so much for listening to Unspoken with me, Dr. Clodagh Campbell, the wellness psychologist. Be sure to like, subscribe and follow me at the wellness psychologist on Instagram if you'd like to hear more. If you identified with this topic, make sure to check out the show notes where I've listed related resources for you. I hope you find them beneficial. Today's podcast is very proudly sponsored by my absolute favourite Irish skincare brand, Ella and Joe Cosmetics. With formulas that are powered by plants and backed by science, Ella and Joe are dedicated to creating high quality, luxurious skincare products that actually deliver results and that create magic moments in your day. Whether your skin is dry, dull, or just in need of a pick me up, the Ella and Joe range will put the joy back into your skincare routine. Find your skin confidence again by shopping Ella and Joe's beautiful products on ellaandjoe.ie using discount code UNSPOKEN for 15% off. Thank you.